But as I, as I walked by to go give her a hug, there was Johnny, and I wanted to hug Johnny. And then there was Carolee, and I almost got, I'm like, I got it. Ashley was praying, and I'm like, okay, I want to hug Carolee. And then and I made my way down there, and I started thinking about the fellowship we have as believers, the love we have for each other. You know that love? A lot of people want love. Everybody wants love, but love comes from God. And he says that when you love him, he causes you to love people. I think of the fellowship. I'm looking at Bill back here and Bill and Barb and, and Mac. And I'm thinking of the fellowship we had on the boats. I'm thinking of the fellowship, man, we had on the paddle boards this week. The fellowship. thinking of Chuck, dude. He, you weren't at Bible study. You chickened out because it was cold, right? You tell me that was the real reason. <coughs> uh, any of you who are on Monday night Bible study, you know that when it's cold, Chuck looks like a Polish washwoman wrapped up in my wife's snowflake blanket. But I was like, dude, it's cold. She's going to let us be. No, I believe you had something come up. It's good. <coughs> all right. All right. All right. I even made soup, bro. And we were going to be inside. But I think of the fellowship that we have with each other. And man, I want to encourage you, man, spend time with each other. The the fellowship is there, but you've got to love God. When you love God, he creates that fellowship. He creates those opportunities. He creates those situations. I didn't even get to be a part of on, on Friday of everybody at the beach. Some of you are like, well, we work during the weekdays, but that's good. And I'm glad you do. But JJ's going to start doing some things on Saturdays with folks. And, and man, we can do things at night and just that fellowship. But it comes from the love of God. The world wants love, man, and it's looking for love in all the wrong places. It's look, it just wants love, but it doesn't want God. And you can't have one without the other. Dubs, dude, we go way back, man. I could spend a whole service talking about all mine and your stories, bro, but I'm not going to, all right? We'll, we'll reminisce again, but man, to see you bless my heart today, man. And, and just for you to share that story, how God's working in your heart right now. Dude, you know what? I've been watching God work in your heart for how long? Maybe 20 years now? Yeah, often. But, he, but, but you can't quit God, can you? And when you're saved, you can't quit. You may get distracted. You may get discouraged. You may get different things, but you can't quit. You got to just keep coming back, don't you? That's called perseverance of the saints, if you want a theological term. But you can't quit. He's there. He's there. And it's more valuable if you never do quit, if you just stay in that awesome fellowship with him. And <clears throat> I'm going to tell you something. Anybody who wants God can have him. Amen. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or Armenian and you decide your theology is reformed, your theology, whatever. Bottom line, if you have a desire for God, you can have him. But, but here's, here's the thing. You want God, you got to take him on his terms. He's the boss. He created everything. He calls the shots. That's not arrogant of him. And, and plus, he knows everything. He is everywhere and can do anything. Who better to call the shots than him? And so you play by his rules. And his rules, how many of y'all think his rules are pretty good? <laughs> They're not restricting in a bad way like, oh, he's a killjoy, I don't get... No, dude, the things that he motivates us and gives us the desire and ability to do are good things. How many of y'all would agree that things God has led you to do are good things, right? The way you've raised your family, though, the way you walk with him, those are good things. Man, when we do them the other way, we realize the consequences and we're like, oh, I got to go back to doing it God's way. And, and so again, man, you come to him and you got to come to him on his terms. 
You come to him according to his rules. They're not restrictive. He created you. He knows how you can get maximum performance out of this vehicle that he gave you to live life in. There, Scott, can you understand that one? You're a car man, right? You know, in your car, you put water in the gas tank? No. Well, it's cheaper. Can you put half water in? It'll still smell like gas, taste like gas, look like gas. No, why? It's a cheap substitute imitation that may get you out of the driveway, but it won't get you down the street. And it's going to break down in the most inopportune times and cause irreparable damage, right? So you put the real deal in. The world, Satan, that's all he is, is offering substitutes all the time. And people want, they want the result. They want the love, but they don't want to do it God's way. But once you start doing it God's way and you see the genuine love, you see the genuine results, you, you have that, you continue. Now, I'm not saying you don't get distracted, you don't get discouraged. In fact, Jesus even talked about the parable of the sower. And when he talked about the parable of the sower, he was actually talking about salvation. But this does happen to believers. He said, hey, there's a guy that goes out and he's uh, on his way out to the field and he's got a bag of seed. And as he's walking, some of the seed fell on hard ground. And, and right away, the birds got it. Everything got it. It never grew. There was no desire. That person's not saved. That doesn't happen to believers. If you have no desire for God's word, no desire for fellowship with God, no desire for God, man, you better check your salvation. The word of God doesn't return void. There's a seed. There's something there for you when the word of God is preached, when the word of God is there. And, and so again, he says, man, that just fell on, on, on ground. The devil stole it away. There it was. No desire for his word at all. You better check your salvation if that's you. But he said, on the way out, he said, some of it fell in a crack. And when it fell in a crack, you know, there's a little bit of dirt in that crack. And, 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 it, and it grew up a little bit. And that's when you hear the word and you're like, yes, that's good. Oh, my goodness. That's just what I needed to hear today, Pastor. Oh, that verse you sent me. That's just what I hear. Or I read this and here's my devotion today. Boom, there it is. And you get really excited about it. But all of a sudden, it, there's a little persecution that comes in your life. I'm going to make the changes I need to make. We're going to do what God's word says to do. Any of y'all ever done that? Said, we're going to do what God's word says to do. And all of a sudden, you reach some opposition to do it. Like, ooh, I know what God wants us to do, but that's going to cost me in my other lifestyle. I'm going to have to change some things. So now you have a choice. Am I going to do what God wants me to do, or am I going to do what I've already been doing? You know, I've got mixed results in all this, but, and so what happens is it says that weed grows up, the sun hits it, boom, and it goes away. So you have good intentions. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. People make New Year's resolutions all the time. People hear things. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, but then you've got to weigh the cost. And if something in your life has to change that you're not willing to change, then guess what? You don't really do what God wants you to do because you can't do both. God is so radical, you can't do both. If, you're, if you find a way to compromise your way and God's way, man, you find a way. It ain't God's way. It's Yahweh. It's your way. It's Yahweh or my way, you hear me say sometimes. So again, you found a way to compromise, and oh, I'm doing what God wants me to do, but I'm still doing what I want to do, and they're contrary. They, they don't work together. It's you, you surrender yourself to him and do it his way. And then he says as he's going out there, Basically, as he's going out to the rows, he said some falls in, the, in between the, where the crops are going to actually get planted, the soil that's been tilled, the soil that's been ready. Some of it falls in there, and it grows. And it's looking good, but so are the weeds that are growing with it. 
So are the other crops, are all the volunteer stuff that's growing, and it gets crowded out. It's like, yes, I have good intentions to follow Christ, man. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read the word every day. I'm going to pray. I'm going I'm to spend time with believers. I'm going to make time for that fellowship you're talking about. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. But man, I got so many other things to do. And you don't end up doing it. It gets crowded out. And you never reap the benefit of what he talks about in the fourth soil where he says, dude, it gets planted right where it's supposed to be planted. That seed makes it, it's a priority. That farmer gets that seed planted exactly where it plants. It's not, it's not only starts growing, but man, the farmer's ripping weeds out. It's being taken care of. It's been nurtured. It's being fertilized. And he says, and when you do that, when you make God that priority, when you notice you're getting crowded out, you switch your priorities around. God, your relationship with God first, your relationship with your family second, your relationship to your job third, not the other way around. And then everything else below that. Man, you keep God that number one priority. When you see your priorities getting messed up, you got to get them back up there again when you're getting crowded out. Otherwise, you're going to get crowded out and all of a sudden you'll be like, why is nothing working? Oh my goodness, I'm like a chicken with my head cut off. Anybody heard that expression before? If you haven't, you must have grown up in the city, right? <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, my granny, she'd like grab a chicken. We grew up on a farm. She'd grab a chicken. She'd grab that chicken. We were going to eat that chicken that night, right? Yeah, you, your mom go out and grab a chicken and eat a live one? No, you want to eat a live one? No, you know she'd do? She'd grab it and she'd go, whoop, wring its neck, and then she'd cut its head off and it would run around the yard without. Y'all do that, Marley? Y'all got chickens, right? You cut its head off, it'll run for a while. I'm just telling you. Chicken, and that's what y'all are like when you got no priorities. You're running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Whoop, where's that chicken with its head cut off? Where's it gonna go? Help me out, where's it gonna go? Does it even matter? <laughs> no. Does it even have a clue? No. And that's you without any priorities when your life gets crowded out in all of that. You know? And, and again, when you make the decision that you're going to do something for God and the persecution comes, the opposition comes, when the priorities are, oh, I'm going to have to change it. Which way is better, your way or Yahweh? Which way is better, your way or, or his way? His way. Whatever you lose, whatever you sacrifice, whatever you give up to do it totally his way is way better. But yet, that's kind of where we are. And so as our relationship with Christ grows and shrinks, grows and shrinks, because we're human, and guess what? My mother-in-law right now, dude, she's on fire for Christ. You know why? She's with him. <laughs> it's like there is no flesh. She lost her desire to grumble, her desire, her ability to hurt. She lost all of everything that comes with the flesh, the selfishness. She has nothing but a desire to worship God right now. And that's all she has a desire for is what God wants her to have a desire for. Is that not a cool place to be? You can too. The more you crucify the flesh. Again, I feel like I need to say this right now, but in crucifying the flesh, I heard this illustration one time, maybe at a youth camp somewhere, I forget, but it, it, it makes sense. You crucify the flesh. Can you crucify your own flesh? Watch us. Watch us, Ethan. Where are all your buddies at? Me? You got any buddies today, man? They didn't make it today. All right. Nolan back there, are you hanging out? All right. Where, where, come on, man. I, I got some buddies, right? Jules, you're not coming up anymore, right? You're just like, oh, come on. I want to sit. If you want to sit your family, that's okay, man. All right. How about, 
Who else I got back here? Come on, man. I need some 11-year-olds, man. Y'all give it up for these guys. Man, you're my star witness back there. What are you doing back in the back, man? I need you. Oh, you have a cough? Oh, so, <laughs> so do I, but I don't care. I'm coughing all over these guys, man. No, but All right, crucify the flesh. Can you crucify yourself? No, you need help crucifying you. You, you. That's why we have fellowship with each other. Dude, where's Mason at? Mason! Oh, Mason's like, oh, dude, I'm sitting up. Really? You got a cough too, bro? You, you coming over with me, man? Oh, Mason. Come on, Mason. All right. Are you really rooting for San Francisco today? All right, man. All right. You know they're going to get beat by the Eagles like next week, right? Or whenever that happens. No, but anyways, I hope they win today. All right. Oh, good. There you guys are. Whoo, Nolan, aren't you glad to be up here now? You're lying in church, bro. You were, I know where you were. You were back over there, man. Hello, lying in church right now. Crucify the flesh. Here's how we crucify. Okay, so here I am. I'm going to crucify myself, right? I'm on a cross. Or, or I have a cross. All right, so I get up on the, you know, little pedestal thing and I have a, a hammer. And I have a nail. All right, so can I crucify my legs? I, I could. It hurt. I'm just saying, but I could do myself right there, right? Depending on how flexible I am. Uh, I, I could actually probably hold the nail here and go, kick, 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 kick. How am I going to get this one? How, how am I going to get the other one? Is there any way I can nail my own? Aren't I going to be l- lacking one? So can I crucify myself? So if I want to be crucified, what do I need? I need someone to help me. I need somebody to help me. And again, we're not going to nail ourselves to a cross, so don't like think that's what I'm saying. But he does say we crucify the flesh. And you ever notice when we try to crucify the flesh, when we're there and, and we got we, the, 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 the word of God's growing up in the crack right here, and we're like, yes, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And here's the opposition, but I can't do it God's way because this will be the consequence. Economically, it'll be devastating. Relational, it'll be dev- I'm going to lose my job. I'm gonna, I can't do it. It's there that we need uh, somebody else to help us crucify the flesh. We need somebody to help us say, yes, you can. If you do it God's way, it's going to work. You, we need that chair. And that's what I mean by crucifying the flesh. Yeah, it's a silly illustration. You can't crucify yourself. But you can't do this Christian life alone. Oh, it's just me and God. Only if it has to be. He didn't design you that way. He designed you to have community. Isn't that right, Abby? Are you digging having a community? Man, we've been having fun paddleboarding and being out there. Yeah. And letting Maverick just run around like a wild man and watching Marley teach Keone how to break his neck doing flips into sandbars. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> Community. Inside some of the shells that we have, there'll be a shell, and then you'll see a little white shell inside there. Anybody, do you remember what those are called? Anybody remember? You saw, you've seen them before. They're little white shells inside that they have to stick to other shells. They're called slipper shells. And if you ever, you're out with me and you'll see them stuck, you could pop that slipper shell off and it's only got one side to it and a little piece of meat right there. It's a slipper shell. Can it live on its own? No, God made it so it has to stay stuck to another shell. And that's the way you are. Y'all know about a bunch of slipper shells, man. You have to have community with people. But to love, how many of y'all, how many of y'all sometimes just don't love people? Can I see your hand? Steve, raise your hand. Come on, man. 
Steve and Rita, you, as you find as you get older, you get grumpier and you just love less people. Nobody, just them? No. Uh, but again, in the flesh, it's hard to love people. How many of y'all admit to that? Yeah. There are a lot of people that just aren't lovable like me and you, right? Right? We love each other. We love ourselves, right? You know, even then sometimes, man, I don't like me. But it all starts by loving God. And when we love God, then we love others. And anybody who wants to love God can. If you have a desire to love God, he will fulfill that desire. Know that desire comes from him. You can't just say, well, I got a desire to love God, but I don't want to do it right now. Right now, I'm too busy doing all this, this. I'll do it later. He says, no, that desire is like the wind. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's leaving. This is John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's saying, Holy Spirit, it's like you don't know when the wind's coming. You don't know when it's leaving. But what do you know about the wind? You know when it's there. And if you have a desire right now to want God, Who's giving that desire, Mac? Yeah, you know the answer. What's the answer whenever I ask you a question? Who's giving you that desire, y'all? God. Yeah, God's giving you that desire. And that desire may not always be there. You got to take advantage of that desire when it is there. But if you've got the desire, dude, God's giving you. If you blow it off, he said with your faith, if it's like a seed, that if you use it, it grows. If you don't use it, you lose it. You got to use it when it's there. And so where we're at in the Gospel of Luke right now, we started with Luke chapter 1 and 2, where we got introduced, you know, they, 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 the, the angels came. And what happened every time the angels saw, uh, came to a person, what did the person say? On the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. No, they were louder than that, bro. And, and, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, and so the angels came said, hey, you're going to have a baby, you young, uh, you old lady, really old, old lady, you're going to have a baby, and, and then you young lady, you're going to have a baby, and there ain't going to be man involved and all this, you're, that's going to be Jesus and John the Baptist, John Luke 2, man, they actually get born, and man, all that stuff's happening, we have prophecies all in all of that, and last week we saw Jesus, how old was Jesus last week when we saw him in Luke 2, anybody remember? 12 years old, right? About y'all's age, right? 12 years old, he was in there, and uh, uh, they, were, they were, went for the Passover. He went to the temple and stayed there and kind of was telling his parents, you know, the, I understand my calling. I am the Messiah. At 12 years old, he understood that. I will respect your authority, but I am under my father's authority, more importantly, right now. And they had to work all that. We don't hear about Jesus again until he's almost 30 years, 18 years, knowing he's the Messiah, Knowing he's in charge, he goes back and is in submission to his parents for 18 years. Why did he wait so long? What do you think, Mason, why do you think he waited so long? Answer, remember my answer? God, that's the answer. It wasn't time for him yet. So when God said, now, here, come on the scene, and he did the same thing with John the Baptist, he had to wait for John the Baptist to kind of announce him. So we see John the Baptist first, and that's where we're going to look at. And man, when I read through, I think the first four passages or so, how many we have, JJ, four or five, man, at the very end, it really caught my eye. It was from the prophecy in Isaiah, and it said, all flesh will see the salvation of God. All flesh is going to see the salvation of God, and it's a matter of what people are going to do with it. 
everybody is going to, according to Romans 1, everybody knows there is a God. Whether they call him God or not, everybody knows. How many of y'all know that everybody knows there's somebody bigger than them? Man, you go look at a sunrise. What does everybody say? Whoa, a hurricane. Dude, we have a bad storm. What do you even hear the newscasters say? We got to pray. Hey, when that football player got hurt on a, what was it, Monday or Thursday night, man, well, what did the NFL all of a sudden decide everybody needed to do, Terry? Pray. Yeah, they're like, oh, there's no God. We don't pray. We don't do blah, blah, blah. We're all this. We got, but, but dude, when something happens, everybody knows you got to pray. You got to know. They know there's a bigger. Romans says God doesn't believe in atheists. So if you're an atheist, know you're on your own. God doesn't even believe in atheists. Everybody knows there is a God. But people choose to worship creation as opposed to the creator because they want to play by their own rules. And in the end, the creator is the one they've got to face. He uses creation to bring us and draw us to himself so we can worship him. All flesh will see the salvation of God regardless of what's going on in society what's going on in your church, what's going on in your neighborhood, anywhere. And so that, that saying just caught me. It's a prophecy in Isaiah that we'll look at. All flesh will see. You, every one of you, will see the salvation of God. But what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be like the seed that goes and gets planted and, it's, and you're going to nurture and allow God to nurture you and grow you and produce some tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. Everybody produce something different, but they're all producing fruit. Is that kind of what you're going to do with it when you see the salvation of God? Or, or are you going to be more like the, the seed the crack that grows up and says, oh, I got to make a choice between this and this. My way or Yahweh? Oh, I'm going to choose my way. And, or are you going to be the one that's crowded out? Yeah, I'm living for God until I got something better to do. You don't say it that way, do you? But isn't that what you do? Until this season, or this thing, or this thing, or this thing happens. And then God gets your attention once again and brings you back. If you're his child. So what are you going to do when you see the salvation of God? So let's take a look at John the Baptist here. What do you guys know about John the Baptist? Uh, Jules, you know anything about the Baptist? What's that? Oh, he got his head cut off. Dude, you're already at the end. That's all you. You know the end result. You don't even care about anything prior to that. What do you know about John? The All right, so yeah, he gets his head cut off. Dude, with the minute he got his head cut off, where'd he go? Heaven. Yeah, so was it cool getting his head cut off? Let me ask you a question. Who did he get his head cut off for? The answer is God. Yeah, do you think God was like, boy, This ain't no seed in the crack right here. Persecution came. Guess what? He's standing for Christ. Gets his head cut off. What do you think the reception in heaven's like? Way better than any reception he could have had on this earth saying, wow, good thing you didn't get your head cut off. Isn't that, con- Jack, isn't that contrary to what we think? We all would think, "Woo, good thing you didn't get your head cut off, right? In heaven, they're like, dang, he didn't get his head cut off. He chickened out. Look at that. In heaven, but with John the Baptist, like, yeah, baby, boy. That's exactly how it's supposed to go down. What else do you know about John the Baptist? He baptized people. Yeah, we're going to talk about that into repentance. Do you know anything about John the Baptist? What do you know about John the Baptist? What did he eat? Do you know anything about what he ate? Yeah, yeah, he, no, he ate bugs, dude. Locusts, man. 
Yeah, John the Baptist, he had the law of the Nazarite on him, which meant he sacrificed his appetite for God, sacrificed his appearance for God, and he sacrificed his affection. In fact, we're going to learn he grew up in the wilderness. And you know, John the Baptist, he was preaching, and man, did, hey, Steve, did John the Baptist ever have to go for a wardrobe change? No, dude, he's just wearing fur, you know? He's wearing, I don't even know, man, he took goat skin or something, put it on. Did he even care? about what he was wearing. No, because he cared more about the message he had to preach for God. So it wasn't like, all right, so come back in an hour and I'll be changed and I'll get a war. No, he didn't waste time with a wardrobe change. How about, okay, time out. Let's go eat lunch. We're going to go eat lunch. Is that what John the Baptist did, Matthew? No, dude, he's preaching. And the kingdom of God is here. Ooh, my stomach. Uh, he didn't go to the B-Mobile, did he? Did he? And by the way, the B-Mobile was awesome, Roger. Thank you for taking care of us that day. And, but, uh, uh, but anyways, he didn't stop at the B-Mobile and take time off for lunch. What did John the Baptist do for lunch? Dude, he just grabbed a locust. And then he kept on preaching. He didn't let anything get in the way of him doing what God called him to do. That was his priority in life. And we can learn a lot from him. He saw the kingdom of salvation. He saw salvation, God's salvation, because he didn't let anything get in the way of all of that. And I'm not saying lunch is bad. I'm not, I am not saying changing your clothes is bad, especially you middle school boys as you get in the next few years. Definitely change your clothes. Don't eat deodorant. You've got to put it under your arms. All right, but I'm just saying. I, I used to be a youth pastor. and that's, Do you believe that? That's what they did with deodorant back in the day? Those guys would get it for youth camp. Their parents would give it to them. And they're supposed to be putting it under their arms. Jack, can you believe these kids? They'd be writing on the walls with deodorant, right? Not having deodorant fights, man. They'd be like, ooh, what does this taste? What does yours taste like? Anyways, I digress. So <laughs> don't do that. There's nothing wrong with changing clothes and all that. But the point that, about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist had his priorities straight and he stayed focused on those. Didn't take time out for other stuff. He had no other affections other than God. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But for some of y'all that are single, like, dude, am I ever going to get some? Dude, maybe God wants you to have all your on him, which I know he does, because you now all of a sudden get a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. You got to split that affection a bit, you know? So it's okay to not have somebody. It's okay to have somebody if that's what God wants, because he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. That was the first thing in creation he said was not good for man to be alone. But some people are called to be single, and they don't have to split their affection. It can all be towards God. Just make sure that's where it's at and it's not moping around for the fact that you're single. But look at this. All flesh will see the salvation of God. And we'll be super quick about this. Even in the middle of political corruption. Why does Luke on chapter 3 start out with who's in charge? Because he wants us to see that if all the corruption, if the politics are corrupt, if the government's messed up, if everything's all junk, you can't have Christianity. Right, Chuck? If, there's, if, 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 if it's all messed up, you can't have Christianity, can you? Don't you have to have a good government? Don't you have to have leave it to beaver situation in life to be able to go to church and do all that? No. In fact, what we've seen through history is that the seed, blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. You know when the church really grows? During times of persecution, when God takes all the gods away from all of us. During prosperity, what do we do? We make all of our prosperity our gods. All of us do. And when he starts taking them away, who all of a sudden do we focus on? Who do we all of a sudden focus on when everything goes downhill? God. I'm training you guys. God. With everything I say, all right? All right. 
All flesh will see the salvation of God, even in the middle of political corruption. He brings up seven leaders, five of them are political, Gentiles, two of them are Jews. Check this out. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the last dude we saw when Jesus was little was Caesar Augustus. He was a guy, I told you on Christmas Day, that he changed politics forever in Rome. For centuries, Rome had a republic, a republic where each area was represented by representatives. They came into a Senate, they represented their people, and then they voted, and, and laws had to be put in place through votes, through people uh, in different areas agreeing on things. A republic, it was a great form of government they had for centuries. They prided themselves, it made them successful. And all of a sudden, Caesar Augustus, the one who was around when Mary and Joseph were heading to Bethlehem, he made a decree. He, he had enough power. Usually when there's prosperity, people will live in their prosperity enough where they give the politicians in the background are getting enough power to one day take away the prosperity. That's what's happened in every great civilization. And that's what happened here. They ignored the politicians and they were living in their prosperity. Oh, everything's great. Nothing can ever change. And all of a sudden, somehow Caesar Augustus, whose name was Octavius at the time, all of us get, sudden gave him a title of Caesar Augustus, that he's now a god. He convinced the Senate, got a law passed where now they were no longer a republic, but now instead they were now uh, an empire and he was the god, the total leader, the dictator, the one in charge. How did that happen? It happened overnight by a bunch of apathetic people that weren't paying attention, but it happened by God's design. So they don't worship the government, you end up worshiping God, <laughs> is what the deal is. So Caesar Augustus was around for a while, but guess what happened to Caesar Augustus? He actually became co-ruler with this Tiberius Caesar, and then Tiberius, he died, and Tiberius Caesar took over. So he's now, do you think Tiberius Caesar, how many of y'all think that this politician who is now in charge of everything decided, you know what, this is not good for the people for me to have this much power, Terry? I think instead, I'm going to go back and do things where all the people are in charge instead of me. You think a politician did that? No. He became a greater, a bigger king. And they now, you'll see, uh, you'll see emperor worship during the times of later, Domination and those guys. You'll see where, where that's where most of the martyrs, they had to take a pinch of incense once a year, a guy named Polycarp. You read about it in Revelation. And he would have to take a piece of incense and you would have to just spread it in the, in the little incense thing and say, Caesar is Lord. Oh, come on, for your business, just do it. Caesar's Lord, just do it. These guys were so sold on Christ, they'd rather die than put a pinch of incense in. And they were killed for it. They were martyrs. Anyone, the word martyr and witness means the exact same thing in the Greek. To be a witness for Christ meant you were going to lose your life later as emperor worship continued to grow. This is the second stage of it right here. This dude, Tiberius Caesar, he was cruel. What do you think happened, Trent, if he did, you didn't worship Tiberius Caesar? What do you think happened to you? You died. And in fact, anybody who had insurrections, anybody who tried to protest, well, we're going to protest in against this decision that he made. What do you think happened to all the people who protested? Yeah, dude, he wiped them out. He, did, he wiped them out. There's record of it. He was brutal. He was cruel. He wiped him out. So we can't have Christianity in the middle of this, can we? Chuck, can we still have Christianity in the middle of that? Yes, and you can have even a stronger one. And it's during this time God sends John the Baptist to say, dude, repent. 
admit that all this is wrong and you're going to follow God and this is the right way. Really? Come on, God, this is a time when we can die for this. I sort of want to keep it a secret. <laughs> so that was Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate, y'all remember him? You remember Pilate? Okay, so he, it says he's the governor of Judea. He was kind of an arrogant, flippant dude. You even, in fact, when they brought Jesus with his crown, they brought him during his illegal trials. Hey, what does Pontius Pilate want to see Jesus do? Anybody remember? What do you want to see? Miracles. He want to see. He want to see magic tricks. Jesus guy. I want to see some magic tricks. That's who he was. He didn't care about God or any of all. Of, can God? still work during that can you see salvation during this time absolutely you can and he sets this up and says this is the worst political climate anyone could ever have but man it's a time for the gospel to shine how much darkness does it take to hide the tiniest light how much darkness can the can the greatest darkness hide the tiniest light no so even if you're the only one ethan you're the only one, and you're just a little pin light, dude, and the whole world's dark. What can you still do? You can shine, and God is proud of that, and you're not on this earth forever. You shine, and they decide to kill you? Well, guess what? They've already done that, and those folks went to heaven. They're called martyrs, and, and the fact is, if, if, you are, are, if you're afraid of losing your life for the gospel, I don't know if you really got the gospel. I might, or I, you know, maybe you do, but maybe your love for this world's a little more than what it should be. Or maybe we need to be in the Word of God so you understand the gospel better. Man, my, again, my mother-in-law, she is in heaven right now. And I'm not saying that we got to be like, oh, yes, I want to die. No, that's not it. But you understand, go back and read Fox's Book of Martyrs. DC Talk later came out with a whole other thing about martyrs. There was generations of people would not even put a pinch of incense, yet we compromise so many things. And when people see compromise, are they impressed with compromise? I'll never forget somebody once said a compromise. When you compromise, you get a less than stellar result. God's looking for people crazy enough to just do what he wants them to do who have no fear for their life. Go read the book of Revelation. Those are the people he's using during even the tribulation. They get saved. They have no fear for their life because to be absent from the body is to be present with who? And Paul, what did he say? What did Paul say? You think, of, dude, this guy's being morbid. He's being crazy. He's being nuts. You're talking about me at this point. <laughs> but the apostle Paul, what did he say? He said, for me to live is what? Okay, I'm good with that. To live is Christ. Yep, I'm living for Christ. But then the next part, he said, to die is what, Lombani? Gain. Is gain better or worse? It's better. So he said, to live is Christ, dude. Man, I'm, I'm living for Christ. He didn't say, he didn't add in third category, to compromise is where we're supposed to be. To live is Christ, if you really want to be spiritual about it. And to die is gain. No, he's telling us we live for Christ and let God sort it all out. I don't know how many would die for their faith. I don't know how many would even be put in that position. But the fact is, is that that's what we're taught in the New Testament. That's how, that's what it means to allow the seed to grow. The seed grows and it's nurtured. It's growing and producing fruit. The stuff that's in the crack and the stuff that's being crowded out, that's not producing any fruit. 
you got to go for whatever God tells you to do, and you do it with everything you have. You show me anywhere in the Bible it doesn't say that. I'll show you all over Christendom. I'll guarantee you can pull up a bunch of podcasts that are teaching a little more moderation. And again, I'm not trying to be radical. I'm trying to be biblical here. And in this, he says, man, Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate. Did Jesus care when he was getting ready to die? No, in fact, he laid his life down because he couldn't wait to get to be with the Father. Again, I'm not trying to be morbid and say, oh, let's get up. No, until you can live with an eternal perspective, I don't think you can get what you're supposed to get out of this life here because you're going to keep getting sucked into this world here if they can control you. Oh, you can't have food unless you do this. Oh, you can't have a job unless you do this. You can't have this. And, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. I have to have a food. Wait a minute. I have to eat. You know what? To tell, uh, oh, not to tell her, to tell her. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. Help me out with it. To tell her. Uh, anyway, some dude back in the day around Polycarp's day, his name began with T. <laughs> uh, to tell him, to tell her. But anyways, his people came to him. It might even have been Polycarp. And they said, but pastor, because they had to belong to these guilds, and they had to sacrifice and go to the, go to the, the temples with the idols and so on. And, and, and they had to sacrifice the idols, and they had to do immoral things. And they came to him as their pastor and said, we got to eat. Anybody know what he said to them? What do you think he said to them? You gotta, we got to eat, right, Scott? You know what he said to them? Do you? Do you? Well, yeah, what do you mean? He said, no, you really don't. Is eating more valuable than doing what God wants you to do? And that's a decision. We aren't forced to make at this point. But uh, you know what? This generation right here could very well be faced in making that decision right now. They need to see true faith. They need to see it in our lives so they'll have it. And you follow God with everything you've got, regardless of what's going on. So, man, we got Tiberius Caesar, we got Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. We have Herod, King Herod. Dude, this isn't the main Herod. Herod, the main Herod around when he killed all them babies at Jesus' birth, he had three sons, and he put them in charge. And this is the Herod that took his place in Galilee. His brother Philip, who was the nice one, supposedly, go read about him being the nice one, in the region of uh, those two places, Luteria and I can't think of trichinosis, but anyways, uh, and, and the third dude, Lysanias, he was the third one, and he was in charge of enough. These guys, if you go read, man, the government, world government at that point was the worst it had ever been, but it's at that point God chooses to bring John the Baptist to reveal the kingdom of God. It's ripe. It's ready, because you know what suffering does? It makes us not love this world. It makes us ready for what God has for us. There's a purpose in suffering. We learn through suffering, but in suffering, we fall out of love with this world, and we fall more in love with God, and you'll see it all through Scripture. Every time you go back in church history, every time there's revival, guess what happens? There's suffering. Did God not have to bring you to a point in your life where you did not want to be the boss anymore and you now wanted him to be the boss? Brandon, you ever get that point? Dubs, you ever hit that point where I don't want to be the boss no more? I made a mess. I need you. That's what he does. And he did it for the whole world. He's like, man, 
The whole world's a mess. You can't count on the government to save you now. So you got to count on me. Man, I can't tell you how much revival we have seen, spiritual, real spiritual growth through COVID since 2020. Because people can't count on all the things they were. And all the people who are waiting, oh, it's going back to normal. It's going, Dude, they just keep getting one disappointment after another. They're never going to reach that. When we heard new normal, we were like, oh, yeah, right. But guess what? <laughs> and again, God is in charge because everything God does is for our glory or his glory and our good. We become more like him and he gets glorified through that. So here it was, man. All flesh will see the salvation of God even in the middle of the most corrupt political government there is. Look at this, all flesh will see the salvation of God, even in the middle of spiritual corruption and spiritual ignorance. This is what the church was. Do you guys believe in eternal life? What does that mean? Life after death, right? How long are you going to live after you die? Forever. One or two places, right? Um, can you imagine a church that didn't believe that? Would that even be a church? Wait, can you imagine there's no eternity? Can you imagine no super? Do you believe God can do supernatural things? Yeah. Can you imagine a church that didn't believe in that? And, and, and so at the time, we had the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in, in anything supernatural. We had the Pharisees who were basically also money makers with all kinds of rules. They had created an external religion. Hey, this is how you get saved, Tiny. You have to be perfect. How you doing, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sam, how's Tiny doing, man? He got ways to go, right? Yeah, yeah. And every day you blow your perfection like, oh. And they made stricter and stricter rules where people are like, there's no way I cannot do what you're telling me the Bible says I need to do. I can't do it. It's too hard. I can't. It's not worth And they, they made it tougher and tougher and tougher and tougher. And it wasn't even what God wanted. In fact, when God showed up and said, this is not what it says, they're like, no, get out of here. We know what it says. They rejected God in that. So check this out. It says in this next part of the verse, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. How many high priests were there supposed to be according to the Old Testament? One. They got two. Actually, here's what happened. So that's already messed up to begin with. This dude, Annas, 15 probably years or so prior to this, he was in charge. He was the high priest. But guess what? The government came in and said, nope, you're not doing what you, we want you to do. And they kicked him out of being the high priest. They thought. They kicked him out of the position. So the next five high priests were sons of his. And, and then the, uh, or, uh, the next one was a grandson. And now this guy, Caiaphas, he's now a son-in-law. So talk about nepotism, keeping it. Who was really in charge at the time? Yeah, God was, but who was the human in charge of the, of the temple and all of that, or the, the priesthood? Caiaphas. He just had sons and grandsons and son-in-laws and all. In fact, it was a money-making operation. You know the outer temple? You remember when Jesus ripped it apart a couple times? said, man, you have just made this like a flea market. You know what they used to call that? They used to call it the market of, of, of Ananias. It was his market. People would come in and bring sheep. Oh, here's a sheep for Saul. They had to approve your sheep for the Passover sacrifice, right? How many sheep? Millions of sheep, right? So they bring it to you, and you're like, oh, here's a blemish. No, no, here. And you would take their sheep, and you would sell them another sheep at a higher price. 
You'd sell them another sheep and you'd make money on the deal. Now you have their sheep that you said was something wrong with it. And what are you going to do to the next guy? The next guy comes in with a sheep. Is his sheep going to be good enough? No. So you're going to take it in and tell them how bad it is. But then what are you going to sell them? The sheep you just took from the other dude and everything was a money making operation. It was Anna, Anna. That's why Jesus ripped it apart. And that's why they hated him. He got into their bankroll. They didn't believe in eternal life. They didn't believe their, their whole script idea of scripture was messed up. Everything was messed up. So during the high priesthood of Annas and Caleb, so if the church is whacked, can you still see salvation of God? Yeah, you still can, even if the theology is whacked, even if churches are, you'd be saved in spite of the theology, but you do need to get someplace where the Bible, the word of God is being preached. You need to know what the word of God is saying. You need to be able to check it out for yourself. You need to compare it to what's being preached. Take everything I've said today and put it up against the word of God. And then if, if there's something that's not right, talk to me. I'd love to hear you. And, and you know what? I'm not perfect, obviously. Anybody know I'm not perfect? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll probably, but, but seriously, you got to know the Word of God. You can't just be the follower, just like whatever. That's where all the people were. And that's why God was now bringing John the Baptist. So in spite of the government, in spite of the religion, in spite of the location, how many of y'all think you got to have a really nice location or you're just never going to have anybody at church? You know, I mean, you got to have a swanky old school with terrazzo floor beach club on the uh, clubhouse on the beach, right? You know, with bathrooms from the 60s. I'm just saying, you can't build a church unless you have that, right? Or unless you have a cathedral, unless you have a brand new, we can't if we don't have a sign. <laughs> I'm laughing because, dude, y'all, one time we had signs, beautiful signs. And then one day, I don't know what all happened, but there was a code enforcement over here that Windmill caused a problem with. And the code enforcement guy said, well, y'all are having church. You can't be a commercial building. You're not AD, all this. And you can't have signs. They came and told us we can't have signs. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, God, we can't have signs. How are we going to have church without signs? Literally. I was at a church one time where they had to spend 40 grand on a sign or we were going to die. Because <laughs> how are people going to know what's going on if you don't have a sign? It's just common church building sense. you got to have a sign. And here we are. I'm like, God, they're taking our signs away. I don't have signs. How are we going to have church without a sign? And, and God's like, how about your people be a sign? <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, God, but... And God's like, who do you think hooked that code enforcement guy up? Who do you think took your physical signs away and i'm like you did <laughs> what a cool joke god <laughs> but we have operated for no longer no less than five years without sign now we have awesome signs now hey sam sam where you at raise your hand up there and man we got sam we got we got tom we got some kids out there we got the best signs in the world they just can't be planted in the ground so y'all keep moving so there's no mistake <clears throat> But everybody thinks you got to have this, you got to have this, you got to have this. I have been through the whole church building mentality and whatever. I did it for 20 years and I'm not. If God's called you to do it, awesome, do it. I'm just grateful that that's not my calling. I'm grateful. When I told God, I said, man, all I can do is preach the word and love people. He said, awesome, just do that. You make disciples and let me build the church, which is what he wants to do. 
So in spite of everything in all this, God, what it comes down to, you're going to see with John the Baptist. So the government's messed up. The church is messed up. And where do you think John the Baptist is going to hold church? Hey, where's John the Baptist going to hold church? No, uh, I got you mixed up with your brother, man. Nolan, yes, that's Nolan. I did say, I started with an N, right? And then I questioned my, no, where, where do you think God had John the Baptist hold church? You think he went to the temple in Jerusalem, the big temple? Nope, where'd he go? Dude, he went where he could just wear goat skins and he could eat like, you know, locusts off the tree and didn't have to comb his hair, none of that stuff, right? He, he, God brought him out in the middle of nowhere. How in the world were people going to find John the Baptist? God, yeah. God was good. They had to be hearing from God to be able to find where they were going to be having church there. And they were people that wanted to hear from God, people that wanted to hear the word of God. People were looking for the real God and they could find him out there. They couldn't find that in their temple. And I'm not saying if there's a nice church, you can't, whatever, but I'm just saying it has to be God's word with the drawing of his Holy Spirit. So all flesh will see the salvation of God, even in the middle of nowhere. So look at this next part of the verse. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, where? Yeah, and I read some accounts of the wilderness. It's all kind of west of, of west, from your view, it's west of the Jordan River. And it's all west of Jordan River, and, and it's down by the Dead Sea. And I don't know what it's like now. I've not been to Israel. There might be subdivisions, all right? But if you, if, if you can imagine Fort Pierce when I moved there. No, I'm just saying. It was 20 years ago. Imagine Orlando when I was growing up. It was nothing. In fact, one guy was talking a different kind of climate. They were talking about like a desert. If you could imagine the Sahara Desert on steroids, if you will, that's kind of where God took them. You can't build a church. No one's going to come out there to listen to God. Oh, yeah, the people who want to hear from God will. And that was the key. And you're going to see that was the key of Jesus' ministry. Jesus didn't suck people in and, and bring them in with all kinds of frills, and then they would hear the gospel. Man, Jesus, man, when, when, when the rich young ruler came to him, man, most of us would have put that dude on a board in the church, wouldn't we have, Mac? Rich young ruler comes in, he's like, oh, I have done everything that God wants me to do my whole life. And he said, oh, okay, why don't you sell everything and give it to the poor? The dude walked off, and no deacons went chasing after him, did they? He, was, he had to be able to give everything. Christ required a total commitment. And that's what Jesus always let people know. He didn't lure people in, try to, try to bait them in. He just said, here, man, you want me, you can have me. But you got to want me. Again, we talked last week about this. Would it have been a, do, you, do you think it's okay if you find some rich dude and you marry him for his money? No. How about some rich lady? You find some rich lady one day and you all marry her for her money. Is that good? No, what do you got to marry somebody for? I know y'all are young, but what do you think? Did you love them, right? You marry them for who they are. Yeah. And that's who we marry God because of who he is, not what he can do for us, but just who he is. And that's where our theology, how we read the word, we look and see how awesome he is. So that's who he's drawing to himself. The word of God came to John, the son of Zebedee, in the wilderness, the middle of nowhere. Look at this. And he went into all the region around the Jordan. This is desolate area. This is not prime church location, guys. Proclaiming a baptism of what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we see three things here. We're almost done. 
we see the word of God. God gave him the word. That's crucial. You get God's word. Not the pastor's word, not, not a Sunday school word, not the small group leader. God's word. You get God's word. And God's word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, man. It's a mirror. Anybody look in the mirror today? And how many of y'all, how many of y'all were encouraged, literally? Okay, I'm not going to say you're conceited. How many of y'all saw something in the mirror? You're like, all right. Anybody? Come on. Terry, yes, I know you did. Yeah, that's it. All these people are like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you look in the mirror and you're like, okay. But how many of y'all saw something that maybe needed to be fixed? Yeah, so you look and you see both the encouragement and the conviction. And, 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 and so that's what we see in the Word of God. Man, it's there. You've got to be in the Word of God. I mean, your dad's like, hey, so how do I look today? <laughs> do you tell him the truth? Or, or do you like, <laughs> sometimes? Hey, do these pink shorts make me look fat? No, your butt makes you look fat. No, I'm just like, but, but literally, no, we tell... I, Again, where's the only place we're going to hear the truth all the time is in the Word. And it's like, okay, good, I got that going for me, but mm, I work on that. We hear the truth, and we look in that mirror, and we let it fix us. And he said it's like a sharper than a two-edged sword. Man, it gets into the tightest crevices where you hide junk. Any of y'all hide junk? <laughs> we hide junk, we're like, oh, I got this going for me, this going for me. And the Holy Spirit goes, boom, and you're like, ooh. And that's what he wants you working on. Man, if you ain't got nothing the Holy Spirit wants you working on, you ain't really looking good enough because you ain't perfect. I'm looking at y'all right now. Some of y'all are close, but you ain't there. And the Holy Spirit wants to continually make us look more and more like God. He went in all the region around Jordan proclaiming baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He brought the word of God. God gave them more. They have not had the word of God prophesied in 400 years. When his parents and Mary heard from the angel and, the, and the, the shepherds heard, that was the first time they'd heard in 400 years, 18 years more silence, and now God is going to reveal himself and start speaking again to the people. And he's going to use John the Baptist out in the middle of nowhere to do it. He's going to have God. God is going to give him his word. But when you get the word, here it is. Okay, so this is God over here. And you find yourself in your word, God says, oh, hey, if you're walking this way, you're walking the wrong way. No, I'm not. The Pharisees say this is the right way. The Sadducees say, hey, you know what my family says, right? No, no. But God's word says, no, it's the other way. That act of turning and coming back to God, Karen, what's that R word we're looking for? Repent. Yeah. When you see in God's word, you can argue with it, you can deny it, you can get angry with it, you can do everything you want, but what God wants you to do when you're walking in the wrong direction is he wants you to turn and come back to him. It's all about coming back to him. So that's what the word will do. It'll show you where you're walking the wrong way and you need to turn and come back to him, but you have to repent. And repent is not like, oh, hey, have y'all ever like got caught? And you got caught. He's the only one. He's smiling now. Lucinda, he's smiling, actually. So did he just get caught? No, I don't know. But yeah, all of them, they're like, like this. And he's going, yeah, I got caught. But did you, and when you got caught, how'd you feel about getting caught? Were you scared? Yeah, dude. It's like, ooh, all right, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll change. Right? That's what a lot of people see repentance as when they get the consequences of sin 
or they get caught, they're really more sad because they got caught in what they're experiencing than, man, I disappointed my parents. Man, I did the wrong thing. And, and man, I'm going in the wrong direction, the direction my parents want me to go in. The teacher wants me. That's the right direction. In other words, again, you're walking in life. How many people are walking the wrong direction in life, y'all? Would you say the majority or the minority? The majority. Well, this is what they say to do on TV. This is what, the, this is what all the blogs say to do. This is what every, you know, the podcasts say to do. What does God's Word say to do? If it says go back the other way, you turn, you go back that way. But you've got to hear God's Word in order to know that. Not somebody preaching God's Word, not even books about God's Word. There's nothing wrong with either one of those things. But you are going to be malnourished if you personally are not in God's Word. Billy Graham of all people. How many of y'all think Billy Graham read the Bible? Dude, Billy Biblehead. I'm just saying the dude knew the Bible, right? At the end of his life on his deathbed, he said, I wish I would have read more read the Bible more than I read books about the Bible. You think that man had some wisdom? And that's what he's saying. Oh, but I listen to this blog and we watch this on TV and dude. Man, Chuck, would you rather watch videos of surfing or go surf? Yeah, it's the real deal, you know? Y'all rather watch, have a nice, cozy fireplace picture on your big screen TV? Or would you rather have a fire pit going? Well, some of y'all are like, oh, I don't want smoke. But yeah, you'll, you miss the warmth. You miss the reality of it all. Man, we got to be into God's word with God's people doing God's life that he gave us and do it in such a way that when we give him an account for our life, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's how it's done. It starts with God's word. And when God's word conflicts with your life, you turn and you repent and head back towards him. And guess what he does? Does God say, oh, no, oh, no. No, uh, Bob, you have just tr tried to make the turn too many times. I told you one more time going down this road, I'm, uh, you're done and you're on your own. Is that what God says? Kurt, every time you turn and want to come back to God, what does he do? He welcomes you instead of like, oh, no, Kurt, I already told you. No, you just stay on that path. You go, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you and your unrighteous self. Go. Is that God? No, instead, you know what God's doing, Dubs? When you made the decision to come here today, not here, but you, to come back to God and even make that announcement, man, I need people praying for me, and I want that accountability, and I, I need God in my life. That's everything. You know what God's doing? How many of y'all know what God's doing? All right, on the count of three, what happens when your team scores a touchdown? This is what God, they're doing in heaven. Y'all on the count of three, everybody do it. One, two, three. Woo-hoo! That's it. Every time you turn and you repent and you come back, all of heaven is grateful because God knows if you're a believer what you're going to look like in the end. You're going to look just like him. Don't ever let the devil talk you into the idea that, oh man, God's so sick of me. He's done with me. Labani, you're going to sin again, bro? And he still saved you? Oh, Michelle, would you save him if you really know what was going on in his head? And you knew what he was going to do in the future? Would you really, like, save him? No, dude, I wouldn't waste my time on that. But God already knew everything you would do way ahead of time. 
And he still loved you because he knows that one day you're going to be just like Christ. And he knows it's better for you if you become more like Christ right now as you go through life. So anytime you got to get in the word of God, you let him bring conviction. And the conviction isn't to beat you down, it's to get you on the right path. Jack, if you're hunting, man, and you're like, no, this is the spot, man, right here. Then all of a sudden, you see trails or you see something moving over there. You, out 50 yards from there, you see a big rack on, on a deer, right? Are you going to still stay here and be stubborn and say, no, this is where I'm staying? No, dude, I'm going to find a way to sneak over where that big rack was. I'm going to change. I'm going to move because there's something better over there. And that's what we've got to do with God. But unless you're in his word, you're never going to come to that because we keep justifying everything. You've got to be in his word. And then he will cause you to repent and he will forgive your sins and he will welcome you back. And when he welcomes you back, what does that sound like, y'all? I know y'all are falling asleep. We're seeing yawns right here. One, two, three, help me out. Just you guys. San Francisco, you really rooting for them? When they win at the end, are you going to be like, oh, good, my team won. No. What are you going to be like? Show me. Oh, you're like, oh. <laughs> no, you're going to be, yeah. Dude, if you ever watch football with my wife, Ashley, dude, how many heart attacks did you have growing up? Perfectly calm household, man. We're just hanging out, minding our own business. And all of a sudden, my wife, whoa! We're like, what happened? And it was some team she didn't even care about scored a touchdown. She did for that moment. But is that not how our relation, man, that's what it's like when you make the choice to do the right thing. Heaven is rejoicing. And one day when we're all in heaven, when they're rejoicing over that victory and you have the Stephanos, the crown of victory, in heaven, we're going to be reliving all of those. And they're going to say, and on such and such a day, Chuck had a chance to do this, but I gave him grace, and he did this. And everybody's going to go, woo! And he's going to lay that crown down. And then they're going to go next, and Johnny, oh, you guys know Johnny. Oh, he's quiet, but he's the sneaky one you got to watch out for. And, and dude, inside, he was planning, he was mulling, but I got in his heart and changed him, and he did this, and all heaven goes, woo, as Johnny lays down his crown. Can you imagine the celebration? Dude, take these victories serious, man. Charlie, do you quit when you keep failing? No, because sooner or later, you start succeeding, and it's the victory that we celebrate. But you got to stay in God's word to renew what? Renew your mind. Renew your mind because this world's going to make it old and stagnant and messed up. Renew your mind. And, and, and so, again, you renew your mind, you repent, and he forgives your sins, and there is celebration. So we'll get to this. I'm just going to read through this next part because this is kind of what was talked to. Uh, this was the prophecy for him out of Isaiah chapter 40. And by the way, in Isaiah chapter 40, the first... 39 chapters of Isaiah. Does anybody know what the first 39 chapters were all about? Them being in trouble. Blah, 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 blah. And then 40, all of a sudden, good news. Here's what's going to happen in the future for Israel. And it starts with this. It says, written in the book of the word, Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. Crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
In other words, Oriental kings, before they made a big trip, they would have people go and straighten, make the path as straight and, and near, as good as possible so the king had no obstructions in getting to where he needed to go. And that's what John the Baptist's job was to do, was to come to a place where they had a messed up government they knew they couldn't trust, they had a messed up religion they know wasn't working, and it was laborious on them. And, and out in the middleness, they brought John, John the Baptist to say, brought him out there to say, man, everything you guys got is wrong. It's good. And repent. Stop trusting in this. And there's going to be a guy I'm going to introduce you to. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, but I'm going to introduce you to him. And, and, and he's going to tell you what to do. So all of you who are willing to do what he's going to tell you to do, come get baptized. And that's what he did. He baptized them. And this, I'm going to end on this right here. This baptism wasn't our baptism when we baptized you guys, all right? How many of y'all been baptized? Anybody here been baptized, right? We baptize you. You stand in the water. It looks like a what? A cross. I bring you down under the water. That represents Jesus' death and burial. Bring you back up. That represents uh, uh, that, uh, his, his resurrection. For you, it represents you dying to your old life and rising to live a new life in his power. This baptism was different. This baptism was... You know what? They baptized. The Jews baptized people. But who did they baptize, y'all? Begins with a G and ends with Gentile. Who did they baptize? Gentiles. Yes. Good answer. You guys are smart. They baptized Gentiles into the Jewish faith. Gentile was a dog. They were messed up people. They were like, you did not want to be a Gentile. When they baptized, they're like, oh, you don't have to be a Gentile anymore. You can now be a Jew, you know? And for a Jew, they look so down on the Gentiles. Like, man, I'm glad I'm, one of the Pharisees prayed, I'm glad I'm not a woman, I'm glad I ain't a Gentile. <laughs> and there was something else he said, but in all of that, that's how bad it was to be a Gentile. So when John asked them to get baptized, they were now having to say, I need to be baptized because I'm as messed up as a Gentile. Dude, I'm as lost as a Gentile. It doesn't matter that I was born a Jew. I, I am as lost spiritually as a Gentile. I'm worse than a Gentile, so I need to be baptized. And they were coming up saying, I'm not trusting in my Judaism anymore. I'm going to be trusting what this guy that you're going to introduce to me is going to say. I'm going to surrender everything I know about myself to everything I learn about him and know about him currently. And that's what he's asking us to do right now. And he's asking us to do on a moment-by-moment -moment basis is a surrender to him. We've got to be in his word. When he shows us we're doing the right thing, keep doing it. But when he shows us we're on the wrong path, we've got to turn. No ifs, ands, or buts. We know there's rejoicing. We come back to him. He forgives our sins, and we're on the right path again. Gavin, how often you got to do that, bro? How often you got to repent, man? The answer's not God this time, all right? But... <laughs> How, how often do you have to, yeah, really, Charlie, you have to do it that often? Dude, I watch out for these guys, man. We don't have to do it but once a week, right? Kentucky Terry, man, like church, that's what we come, no, daily, moment by moment. Every time he convicts us, we do it. But man, he's saving us from dire consequences. He's causing us to be more like him, Amen. So again, this is where the kingdom gets introduced. This is where God says the kingdom's here. Anything you're doing aside from Christ, man, uh, is wrong. Repent and sell your soul to the only one worth selling your soul to. And that means selling your soul regardless of the consequence, regardless of whatever. 
Do what he wants you to do and continue to be his disciple and learn and continue to do that. Doesn't matter what the government's doing. Doesn't matter what the church is doing. Doesn't matter where you're at. He, you could be in the most obscure place in the world. Where can the gospel reach? Everywhere. You just stay faithful to the gospel and let God do his work. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to know that anyone who wants you can have you. Father, I pray that everyone here has a desire to want you. Father, I pray that even if, um, even if we've kind of lost that desire because life's gotten crowded, or, or maybe we've got some tough choices to make, um, Father, Father, I pray that we would just sell our soul to you. Even tell them later in this book that, man, what, on, what could this word, world possibly have that would be worth selling your soul to? Missing heaven missing you and answers nothing so father i don't know how you want to use this in each person's life i know that your holy spirit will take this word and use it but father i think of all the excuses we make as to why we can't do things father the world government was in the worst shape it had been in the church was in the worst shape it had been in and and you brought john in the middle of nowhere but the most important factor was your word you took your word and you spoke it through your man and it touched people's hearts. They knew they heard from you. And whatever it was you told them to do or not do, they did. And when they repented, they were forgiven and had a relationship with you. And that's how we continue to have our relationship restored. So Father, I pray that we make a commitment to your word on a daily basis, moment by moment basis. Maybe each time we have issues, we dig into your word and look for answers. We look for that to be the thing. We always, that's our go-to always is your word. And whatever it is you tell us, man, Father, help us be encouraged by what we're doing right, but bring conviction to what we're doing wrong, not because you want to beat us down. To the contrary, you want to give us freedom. You want us to become more like you. And Father, you rejoice over that. You forgive our sins and you give us freedom. We're grateful for that. So take this word and use it how you will. And if there's somebody that's never given their life to Christ, maybe they thought they had, maybe they've gone through some ritual, but today is the day that they know it's all or nothing. There's no coming to God on your terms. You come on his terms. And today's the day they need to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. Father, give them the desire and ability to do that. The desire they can't refuse. And let them become a child of the kingdom. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.